So I was scrolling through um, Twitter the other day, and I came across this uh, tweet from someone who I follow. Like, well, they had liked the tweet, so someone who I follow liked a tweet, and it showed up in my in my feed or whatever. Okay. And so uh, it was this girl, and she was doing cosplay, and it was really cute. And I was like, oh, okay, let me let me go check out the rest of her profile. So I went through, I went over to her media section and I started scrolling through and, uh, she's one of those girls who has like an OnlyFans, you, you know, the, the, like the e-girl, I guess is, is the way to describe it. Yeah. Well, so I'm scrolling through her, her media and I come across this one picture in particular that I was kind of baffled by and it's just her and she is staring into the camera or whatever, and she's holding her mouth open, exposing her teeth. And okay. the caption of the of the photo was, "Here I am showing my chompers again." Okay. So my question to you is: Were you aware that there is a teeth fetish? Oh no, not at all. Actually, I did not know anywhere where that was going actually because look you set me up for a good one because that was like we could have been talking about favorite cosplay girls we could have been talking about only fans i did not see that one coming no i i had no idea <laughs> i had not a fucking clue is it was she clothed yeah she was clothed oh and it was just the teeth it was just the teeth and apparently, I, I I didn't want to dig too deep, but I I started like searching, like googling, like teeth fetish, and apparently it's uh-huh. a thing. Okay, um, so, so uh, why? <laughs> like, uh, I don't know, man. What? Okay. Well, now, I, God damn it, I have to Google it. <laughs> so I think I I think I understand. Like it's it's very nice to see someone with like perfect teeth. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah, yeah. But I don't know. I just thought it was. Oh, weird. wow. Okay, so Urban Dictionary. I don't like that. So it's called odontophilia, and it's <laughs> the number one definition is licking your partner's teeth. I'm not okay. Oh with that. no, no. I uh. I'm okay with the second definition, which is leaving the imprint of their teeth on their lover's skin or the other way around. Perfectly okay with that. That's cool. Let's get rough with it. Um, I'm not licking someone's teeth. Licking someone's teeth. That's fucking weird. (laughs) Wait, the third definition. Why? There are three completely different extremes. Like, I can't even make this shit up. I gave you the first two definitions. Last definition. Pulling out their partner's teeth or anything really having to do with dentistry. What the fuck? Wait, like, actually, like, not dentures, but actual teeth? Yeah, I reckon so. Okay. I, mm. all right. I, you know what? It's, it's a fact. I, I know something now. Odontophilia. That's, that's great. Yeah. Well, I, I thought that that was interesting. And I was it's, like, it was interesting. Then it gravitated towards disturbing and now I'm kind of left in the middle. I'm like, I need to know more, but I do not want to know more at the same time. Yes. Specifically about pulling the teeth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Because oh you know the expression, like, you know, you're like, you you got this task at work and you really, it it's like, it just drags on. It's just slow and everything. And it's like, I think the expression's like, it's like pulling teeth, like it's painful, but you just got to do it or something like that. Yeah. What if someone hears that expression and it's like, oh, yeah, <laughs> just because it's like a turn on. Do you think that's a thing? I hope not. I really hope not. Look at what you've done. Welcome, welcome, welcome. You are listening to Hunting Pixels, the one and only official video game podcast of Culture Bop. We have quite a show for you today. Despite E3 being just a little over a week ago, we're always looking to the past to inform our future. And so that will inform our topic of the show. And with Austin out, we've decided to grab us a topic that doesn't involve talking about Pokemon over and over and over Damn again. It. I know. I know. You're sad. <clears throat> um, but uh, I've also watched some stuff that I want to talk about, uh, including more werewolf talk. I know I've talked about Resident Evil, I swear, like the last three podcasts. So uh, getting the werewolves out of my system. <laughs> um, but we'll get into what we've been playing, such as the new Ratchet and Clank. And, of course, we'll get into some picks of the week. I am, of course, your host, the one and only Bebop Man Josh McMullen, and I am joined, as almost always, by my co-host, the one and only Dylan, no more original content, only sequels, Martin. Could you imagine? You doing today? I'm doing great, but could you imagine, like, no more original content whatsoever, it's just sequels from here on out? I would probably hurt myself. I yeah. would commit unalive. Yeah, that would be real quick too. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't imagine. It would it's, be awful, it, I think. Yeah. And eventually I feel like the sequels would evolve into original content. Right. <laughs> uh, but no, I'm doing skippity. I'm I'm great. <clears throat> oh, well, that's um, good. I'm not. That was a lie, but I'm good at faking it. Oh yeah, yeah. Hey, uh, how did you uh, how did you enjoy your your five days? They were great um, in the sense of it made me not want to do anything ever again. Um, I kind of like staying home and having no responsibilities outside of. I think I have animals. Um, so <clears throat> yeah. Oh, Sabrina showed me uh, a picture of your your uh, cat's. Uh, bedside present for you yeah what the fuck i was in here <laughs> and i was playing i was playing assassin's creed and then he was gone for a, a questionable amount of time i was like what the fuck and then he walks out of the bedroom which i didn't even know the door was open and i was like what are you doing so i get up and i go in there and i smelled it before i walked in uh, and then i walked in and it was right between where her and i would lay and it's just sitting there <laughs> staring me in the face a monument to his sin that was fucking horrendous outside of that though the five days was nice i did a lot of gaming um and i played assassin's creed the whole time and you're not fucking kidding i mean i tried to beat that game and i just couldn't um but i'll talk about it later yeah it's big dude five days 
I'm I I told uh, little Dylan the other day because he was he was saying something to me about whether or not I was going to get back into it, and I was like, dude, it was big before all of the the new stuff came out. There's no fucking way I'm touching this game ever again. I feel it's like just, it, it's crazy. You're not wrong. And especially you being someone who doesn't like to, <laughs> you know, have a, a map with too much shit to do on it. This map has a lot of shit to do on it. Yeah. It, I uh, mean, it's overwhelming, man. It is. And it's, it's, it's a beautiful game. And I don't regret my time with it whatsoever. I'm actually thoroughly enjoying it. But my God, I think I still have another 10 to 15 hours left before I'm finished. Oh, man. How much have you put into it so far? I think I'm like 44 hours in. God damn. Yeah. It's fucking crazy. Uh, I mean, that's not the equivalent of people putting in like hundreds of hours into Skyrim, but still, that's a right big me and Minecraft. I have well over 2000 hours in Minecraft, but it's just it's it's different. Like I but I've been exploring, but most of this has been story. I've been trying to get to the end. I fucking can't. It's that goddamn long. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, well, um, what have you been doing? Well, uh, so, listen, I'll, I'll knock out this first one relatively, relatively quickly so I can get into the second one. Uh, I watched Bo Burnham's Inside. And... Oh. I'm going to go ahead and throw it out there that some people are not going to like my take on this. <laughs> I don't think it was particularly good. Um, it. So do you know anything about it? I have heard nothing but praise about every detail <laughs> of the movie. I will never watch it because I don't particularly care for him. Okay. Um, I have nothing against him. I've just never had a draw to him, but I've been told much about this, so I'm very interested right now. Okay. So I I really like him. I loved his last two specials. I thought that Make Happy and... Uh, fuck, what was the other one called? Uh, it doesn't fucking matter. I liked both of those specials. I really loved him in uh, Promising Young Woman, uh, which I talked about like two weeks ago, three weeks ago. I... Really, really liked his directorial debut, uh, Eighth Grade. I thought that movie was really, really good. So I like him. I like his stand-up. I used to like his YouTube uh, stuff. But this just seemed really fucking weird to me almost the entire time. So it's framed as in, like, he was getting ready to go back on stage um to perform again like he had not performed since uh, I, I believe make happy was his last one so he had not performed since that came out and that was in 2016 so it'd been like roughly four to five years before this special came out and he was getting ready to start touring and, and all that shit again and then the pandemic hit and so then he was like well i guess this special is going to be me inside the house and it's all like I shot it, or I shot it, I edited it, like all this shit by myself. Which, from that aspect, I think it is very cool. Having a one-man show that is like 60 to 80 minutes, I don't remember the exact run length, but it, it's somewhere in that time range, or time length. Having that uh, done by one person is really cool. 
the problem is, is that this is kind of the, I, I don't want to say film equivalent, but it's kind of the comedy special equivalent of the celebrity singing Imagine from last year. It is just these, this, this rich kid who is kind of singing like, or like doing like, woe is me. Like the, the pandemic hit me hard too. We're all in this together type bullshit. And like, I get it. Like you're a human being. I'm sure that this affected your mental health. And, uh, like, I'm sure that this was like a way for you to cope. And in that aspect, good on you for making this and being able to do something. But like, also you live in presumably a house or an apartment in fucking LA and you have millions of dollars at your disposal or at, at your disposal that you can kind of just skate by on. Whereas other people during the pandemic were fucking losing their jobs and their entire lives were going down the fucking shitter. And like, you're just upset that you have to stay inside. Like, no dude, it's not equivalent at all. And like, you're framing it in a way where you're trying to say that like, we're in this together sort of thing, but like we're not. And on top of that, when you think about the fact that he is making a special about that, like you are making money from the pandemic. Like, what are you doing? I, that, that sort of like really got under my skin. I feel like, and that really turned me off and maybe I'll need to watch it again with like a more clear perspective, but like, even the jokes I felt like weren't as funny and were like stuff that other comedians had done better. Like there's a whole bunch of like white savior shit in here where he's singing about how like, you know, white people, um, pretend to care about, um, you know, like, uh, black people, but then they, or well, not necessarily black people, but minorities in general, but then they kind of won't do anything about it. And like, I, I think that, you know, the self-awareness aspect of that is like, yes, that is a good idea. Like I, I get the concept of the joke that you're trying to go for, but it like, it's kind of not funny. And other comedians have told similar jokes or jokes that tackle that same theme better. <sighs> it was fine. I just expect more from him because I know that he can do better. And everyone in their fucking mother is praising this shit. And I just, I don't get it. So. Yeah. Cause that's not, I've heard nothing but praise for it. And it's like how it's such a unique take and a unique, I guess, spin on a special. And, but no one's talking about the fact that he is a literal millionaire. <laughs> that yeah. Yeah. I didn't have any, I mean, I'm not going to say that his mental hardships weren't real. I have no idea. I don't know what it's like to be in his shoes, but he did have a shit ton of money when everyone else was losing their jobs. Yeah. And, and to, so towards the end of the special, he says something about like the reason that he had stopped like doing comedy shows and like working at new material and, and quote unquote touring was because when he was doing that around 2016, he started getting really bad anxiety attacks. And like, I, the, the thing that I think a lot of people forget with like the whole empathy thing is that I, I get 
where he is coming from. And it does not take away or like I I'm trying to think of how I want to phrase this. His, I understand and empathize with his plight with his mental illnesses and and anything that he has going on with that because I dude I suffer from anxiety too. I'm all the time waiting for the other shoe to drop. Like it's just a, a thing. Like I'm all the time being like, well, something is definitely going to go bad. And like I it cripples me sometimes when it comes to like my create creativity or or whatever. So I get that. But also it's not the same for me to have these sort of anxiety attacks and and shit like that as it is for him to do it when he has <clears throat> the means to deal with that stuff that I don't have. He can pay for therapists and shit like that. I cannot. I just I feel like there's there's a disconnect when people are like See, well, celebrities are people too. Yeah, they are. They are. And like, it fucking sucks that he has to deal with that kind of shit. But also that doesn't make his plight the same as mine. It just doesn't. I don't know. Well, I'm on your side. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, thank you for that. You're welcome. Um, I'll talk Austin. about the, huh? Yeah, Austin. I was going to ask him if what, what getting ready for locals means. Yeah. I don't, I genuinely did, don't know why he wrote anything, if he oh. wrote anything at all. Maybe I just forgot to, to delete that. Oh, know. yeah, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, so the next thing I'll talk about before we get to you and then we can get to my last thing is uh, I watched Whiplash. Um, are you familiar with this movie? No, I just find it fascinating. You have time to watch all of this stuff. <laughs> I try to. I try to make time as much as possible. Um, Wait a minute. Right. Is this that 2014 movie with J.K. Simmons? Yes. Okay, I've never seen it. I just googled it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it is uh, a. Like you said, 2014 film about um, this kid played by Miles Teller, who is an ambitious kind of up and coming jazz drummer who is playing for the Schaefer Conservatory in New York City. And he is trying his best to um, get into the... uh, I, I don't, I, I, I guess, exclusive band, uh, I guess. I, I don't know what you would exactly call it, but that is conducted by J.K. Simmons. So, and it kind of just details his, his journey through that entire process. And the movie is fucking wonderful. Uh, it is In 2014, it was a breath of fresh air, and I feel like it's even somehow more of a f- breath of fresh air now, which is which is weird. Like it's aged incredibly well. Uh, there are things that like the movie could potentially get canceled for now, but you know, whatever. Like that's the political climate we live in, I guess. <clears throat> but um, but 
J.K. Simmons and Miles Teller both give incredible performances. I'm not a huge fan of Miles Teller, to be completely honest with you. I think he's fine, but, like, he's really, really fucking good in this. And J.K. Simmons, I mean, he won Best Supporting Actor for this role. He He's incredible. <clears throat> um, but the... The whole movie is really, I think, when it comes down to it, the way that it is edited, the way that the <clears throat> the camera tells the story, the way that it is kind of directed, um, all enhances the theme of, t- to me, about perfection. Like, so Miles, he is trying to live up to uh, be the next Buddy Rich. Uh, who was a jazz drummer in the, I want to say 40s. Um, I could be wrong. But so he's this guy who he's, you know, he's trying to live up to that. And then when he gets into, um, to, what the fuck's his name? Um, Fletcher. When he gets into Fletcher's studio band, he's then trying to live up to, uh, Simmons's like set of uh, uh, not rules, but like to he's trying to be perfect for for that. And the whole movie, he's trying to be perfect for different people. And like so, like he his dad is a failed teacher or, or a failed writer who's uh, who's a pretty successful teacher or whatever. And his dad's always telling him, you know, you're you know, you're good enough. You, you can do things like you don't have to do this. Like you were good enough to do anything that you want sort of thing. And then like JK Simmons is constantly telling him, no, you have to be perfect. And if you're not perfect, you're fucking shit sort of thing. And he kind of starts, I, I don't want to say he kind of starts to believe that. Cause I feel like he kind of believes that from the beginning, but like, there's a scene where he finally gets up the courage to ask this girl out on a, on a date. And like, she's like, Oh, I'm really kind of into you too. And like, so they go out on a date and then they start dating. And then like, uh, like midway through the movie, he breaks up with her and is like, yeah, I'm just trying to be, you know, the best that ever was. And I just don't think that I can fit you into this perfect little mold and I can have everything that I want. So I'm going to dump you, whatever. And the whole movie to me just reeks of like this, this perfection sort of thing. And it, and it really is like a lot of people have pointed out that it's a movie about obs- obsession, but like to me, it's, it's that obsession with being perfect. And I, I just really love it, man. Like the editing, it, for lack of a better term, really is perfect. The movie is edited so fucking well. It is directed really fucking well. And like, it's funny because it's set up against the, the idea of jazz and jazz is kind of, to, to me is weird because it's kind of about imperfection. Like jazz is never like following a musical structure. You know what I mean? Like jazz is just kind of exploratory and is kind of about, I, I mean about imperfection, but this kid is trying to be perfect while playing jazz, which is just, I don't know. I think it's an excellent movie. Uh, one of the best movies of 2014 and one of the best movies 
of the 2000s. It's excellent. Really, really good. And I highly recommend it. I like J.K. Simmons just as an actor entirely. Like, of course, I'm going to say Spider-Man, obviously. Uh, That's where I I know him from the most. But he also does a lot of animated shit that I don't think people give him credit for. Like being the, the, what is it, the, the mayor in Zootopia. I think it was. Oh, yeah. 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 But then he also was in uh, The Legend of Korra, too, which is the Avatar follow up. He was one of he was uh, Tenzin, who was Aang's son, um, which is really cool. And then he also was in Portal 2. So on the video game side, he was in that, too. Um, Yep. I remember him in Portal 2. Yeah. Um, he, He has a lot of depth and I love him. Yeah, he's he's fucking wonderful. You're Um, fucking wonderful. Uh, mm. Yeah, I know. I f- it felt like a lie saying it, even. <laughs> uh, well, what what is what is VGWUFTP? I don't know what the fuck that means. Yeah. Uh, so, I feel like I have to put one acronym in here per podcast, and that was just yeah. the one I did this one to, um, to trip me up. I don't even know why I do it. I'm not going to lie to you. I have no purpose <laughs> with doing it whatsoever. Um, I don't do a lot, <laughs> Josh. Like well, I put on here initially, I wish I had something to put here. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's it's my my weeks have been just kind of concurrent. It's doing the same thing. They blend into one another. But mm-hmm. VGWUFTP stands for... <laughs> <laughs> Video game weekly update for the podcast. <laughs> oh my god! Oh, that cracked me up when I typed that in. I was like, "This is gonna be the stupidest thing I've ever said on this podcast." Um, so this is last week, and you know, we haven't talked about it in depth for a while, but we did set out a pretty ridiculous goal for ourselves this year: um, twenty games completed, and. While I thought I had a better start than I did, I forgot that it had to be new to me games, at least in terms of making it to the end. So that sucks because I have one game finished this year uh, (laughs) out of 20. So today, actually, I sat down and I made a list. I only have 10 games on this list that I am either playing or want to play this year. That's what kind of sucks. Only, I guess I could add Far Cry 6 to this. But only a couple of them are new. So I've already beaten Cyberpunk 2077. Mm-hmm. So that was on the list this year. I'm probably, I'm going to say 15 hours out from beating Valhalla. So that'll be beaten. But then I'm going to do Ori and the Will of the Wisps because I feel like I have to. Um, Biomutant, which I think I just saw a pretty decent patch, I think. For it, so I'm gonna go ahead and hit that up, go finish it because I made it. Uh, I'd say at least a quarter of the way through it. But a plague tale, or a plague tale, I haven't finished it. I started it, and I'm just gonna kind of restart because I only made it a couple hours in. But that's one of them. And then obviously Pokemon at the end of the year, I'll play and beat that, and that counts as a new game. I don't care that it's Pearl; it is a new game, so okay. that counts. Okay. <laughs> Uh, But Far Cry 5 and 6, I haven't beaten 5, so I need to go ahead and tackle that at some point. uh, I have a shit ton of games. I have to do all this by the end of the year. Thank God we didn't put any repercussions out for ourselves that I can remember. That's good. Um, But then Control, like it went went free on the Epic Game Store. I haven't played it yet, so 
that was a nice kind of freebie. That's probably one of the better freebies that I've gotten from them, to be quite honest with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Firewatch. I love Firewatch. I can never fucking finish the game. It's a shorter game. I know it. But it's for someone who loves being outdoors and mountaineering and all that kind of shit. That's my kind of game. I don't have to worry about anything probably killing me as far as I can tell from what I've played. But those are my 10 games so far. Um, I didn't add Far Cry 6 onto this list, so that's another one that'll give me another number. But all of this has to be done within, say, five and a half months. Five and a half months. And I have to add another 10 games. Well, uh, I I just started running through trying to look at games that have come out this year uh and (sighs) i'm not not too far ahead of you i've beaten three games this year and uh, i mean one you kind of i i i'm kind of like i don't know what beating this game actually means if it's like completing all the levels or whatever but i've beat resident evil village genesis noir uh and hitman 3 oh okay So, uh, and Hitman three is the one that I'm like, I don't know if that technically counts as beating it or whatever. Right. Well, that I, I left out one on my list as well, but it's kind of on the same spectrum as you. It's actually Stardew Valley. I've never made it to the true end of that game. Okay. I've played the shit out of it, obviously, but I don't know. I don't even know if there is a credit scene. I have no idea. So my goal is to add that to the list of games to beat or make it to end game because they've added so much shit. Um, I'll talk about that on what we've been playing because I just started playing it in depth today. I think genuinely today was one of my longest sit down sessions in a while. I think I played six concurrent hours of Stardew Valley. Oh, um, yeah, it, it was a day, but I enjoyed it. I needed that kind of mental break anyway. But yeah, that's on the list, too. If if I can, I'll take it off if I find out like there's no true, not necessarily end game. But you know what I mean? I don't yeah. know what it it. It's the same thing as Hitman. I don't know what the true definition of beating that game is, but we'll find out. I actually just remembered I beat Man Eater this year also. So I'm a Man Eater? Yeah. The Shark RPG. Oh. <laughs> I forgot about that. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, I'm not too far ahead of you at all. And I, there are a fuck. The thing for me that, that sucks is there are a fuck ton of games that I'm excited to play, uh, like coming out the rest of this year. Yeah. I didn't put stuff like dying light two on here because I don't know if I will be able to beat it within the time frame that it comes out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there was another, one. I swear there's one more like Forza horizon five. I don't know if I will be able to beat that by the time the end of the year happens, but it's, I'm going to play it. Yeah. You know? Um, but we'll see. There's a lot of stuff that I'm excited for. Yes. Uh, 100% agreed. Uh, all right. Are you are you ready for this? <sighs> Y'all ready for this? <laughs> Let's talk know, about some werewolves. I, I know that that uh well, you you like horror. I think really th- I if this is the one from like what was it the 90s or some shit? 1980 uh, uh 1981. It was the 80s? Yes. Then I just watched it in the 90s. I was about to say I don't remember shit from it, but I know I've seen okay. it. Okay. Okay. Um but I watched it in the 90s, so I was a young kid. I was a squirt. Well, fair enough. <laughs> you were old because you were born in, like, the 80s. I Yes, I was born in the 80s. You were correct. 
So 88, but still, they, even though we're only like two years apart, you were still old. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay. So I watched an American werewolf in London. Um, I love this movie. I is this a this sequel? Movie. No, this is the first one. The sequel was an American werewolf in Paris, which was, uh, 97. In your synopsis that you're about to go through, are you going to t- tell me why it's an American werewolf in London? Yes. Okay. Because that was bothering me. Okay. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I've seen this movie countless times. Uh, I, I don't know how many times I've seen it. Um, I really, really love this movie. So the basic premise of it is there are these two American backpackers going through their backpacking through Europe and they started in England. They're supposed to eventually get to, uh, Rome. And so they're traveling through, um, the countryside in England. And while they're there one night, they stop or, huh, not one night, but they stop in a little pub, um, to kind of get out of the rain. And it's, uh, inhabited by all these people who are kind of acting weird and they have this pentagram drawn on the side or whatever, uh, the side of the wall. And one of the guys is like, Hey, what's that for? And then they, the, the locals kind of get upset about it, um, and tell them that they have to leave and they go out. It's the middle of the night and they get attacked by a werewolf. And one of them dies and the other one survives. And then it kind of follows the survivor's journey. Uh, and it turns out that he was, um, scratched by the werewolf. And so he now has the curse. I being scratched. That's a weird way to phrase it, but I don't know how he survives the attack. I guess is a better way to phrase it. He was fucking maimed. Yes, he was maimed. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so this movie is, um, probably my favorite werewolf movie of all time. Um, okay, I, pause. Okay. Are there many werewolf movies? Uh, yes, there I'm are. I'm not counting like Twilight and Harry Potter. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so there's stuff like the Wolfman from, you know, the forties. Um, there is dog soldiers, which was from like 2002, uh, if you count the underworld movies, those have vampires and werewolves uh, in them. Oh, I did forget about those. Okay. Well, yeah. that's a pretty substantial, uh, compliment to that, that movie then. That's crazy. Cause yeah. I think I, I forgot about underworld, but when you said that, I was like, yeah, it's probably mine. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, the first underworld I think is really good. Uh, yeah. I, I don't particularly care for the rest of them, but I like that first one a lot. Yeah. But even still like that is your number one. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the, I think the reason that I like it so much is because it is very, it, it is scary. Like it's, it, there are some parts in here that are legitimately, I'm like, I like, I don't get scared easily from watching horror movies, but like there are parts that I recognize as being like genuinely like, Oh, okay. Like this is fucking horrific and this makes me uncomfortable sort of thing. Um, and th- one of those scenes in this one, I think, is the best werewolf transformation ever done. And it is maybe three or four minutes, and it's just 
the lead character transforming and like how horrifying it is for him. Like it is like literally tearing his skin and like, it's just, it, he looks like he's in so much pain and he's screaming out and like, it's, it's really, I don't want to say hard to watch, but it's, it's really kind of like, Oh, holy shit sort of thing. Uh, but it's also really funny in a lot of ways and like a lot of like really dark kind of ways. Like there's, (laughs) there's, there's a dream sequence with Nazi werewolves that come in (laughs) and they, they just fucking shoot up an entire family. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) It's, it's weird, but it's also like, it's so out of left field that it's fucking funny. And the ending to this movie is so fucking cynically funny. It's just so nihilistic almost. And it's like, so basically the, the main guy spoilers for the movie from 1981. Sorry. (laughs) Uh, But the, the American guy who survives, he falls in love with the nurse. Who's kind of like nursing him back to health, so to speak while he's in London. And she, along with her doctor, figure out that he is the werewolf or whatever. And finally, at the end of the movie, the police have him cornered in an alleyway and she's there and she's like, please, can you just like, I I need you to calm down. I need you to like, kind of like transform back. I like, I love you, whatever. Like, and then he gets shot to shit by the, uh, by the police. And it's just kind of her looking over him and he's kind of transformed back into a human and she's like crying and then it cuts to black and is, it plays this, uh, doo-wop version of blue moon and it's just the harshest transition, but it's so fucking funny and it's like nihilistic. Cause she's like sitting there crying. She's like lost this loved one or whatever. And like, it kind of like cuts away almost to a joke. I, it's so fucking funny, but it's so not funny at the same time. But, um, this movie has incredible special effects and is directed really well. But I think the thing that kind of really stands out to me more than anything is that it's really fucking well written. And, I never really grasped this until the last probably like four or five years, but the movie is really an allegory for survivor's guilt and how he feels like he's a quote unquote monster for letting his friend die. And there are so many references to suicide and how like, his the death of his friend kind of affects him and in turn affects the world around him and i just think that that's such a fucking like i don't want to say awesome because that's that's not the right word but like when you watch a lot of movies they tell stories and then you get them. They're kind of very surface level. And the story in this is, you know, uh, a man turns into a werewolf, so to speak. But like, I, you don't, I, you would never, I feel like 
in a million years just watching this for the first time as a throwaway or whatever get that it is this allegory for Survivor's Guild, I don't think. But, like, it's so smart in the way that it is, like, represented. And I I don't know, man. I love this movie. I think that it is incredibly well written. I It, it, it gets points across the board from me for pretty much everything. I, I don't know. It's good. It's good stuff. Done. The end. Done. The end. That's it. <laughs> I th- you know, I think the Steam Summer Sale starts tomorrow. Uh, I don't have money. I need to keep reminding myself I don't have money. You know, I think that might you might find a couple extra bucks tomorrow. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> it's rumored uh, to start tomorrow. Okay. Well, yeah, we'll see. I don't have money either, but I will go broke for a summer sale. Yes. Uh, all right, let's get into our topic of the show. Um, we've talked about games from the past many a time on this very podcast, and it's because we really love the games that we either grew up with or were formative experiences uh, when it came to our gaming taste. Uh, we've talked about our favorite games of all time. We've talked about games that we want to see return or even get remade. But what games that are perfect? What about, oh, God, I don't know. <laughs> I love it. Once an episode. <laughs> Once an episode. Uh, but, but what about games that are perfect as they are, but we want more of? Well, listeners, we've decided that that's what we want to talk to you about today. And we're going to talk about games that we'd like to see get sequels um, and why we want to see those games get sequels. Um I think the first thing that I really wanted to ask you was what do you think makes a good sequel? Um, We won't go into like stories or anything like that, but specifically for a game, what makes a good sequel? Well, I'm glad you asked McMullen. I'm glad you asked. So what a good sequel does is built upon the first and I feel like doesn't necessarily change anything for the worse. They, they, they build upon an experience. Um, mm. I'm trying to think of a good example at the moment. Well, I can, it would be kingdom hearts one to kingdom hearts two. That's what I feel like a great sequel is. We're not going to talk about three. Um, but what that did was fantastic because it, for what it you know i know this is a joke to say about the kingdom hearts universe but it kept the story flowing nicely and it added brand new game mechanics that made the game so much more fun to play and more intuitive um it expanded upon the world's overall in terms of scale and where you could go and what you could see um and overall the game didn't feel clunk anymore they really upgraded how you moved around these worlds at least to me they did uh you know for that time period um so that's something for me that is really important and it's not that you're changing everything from the first game and it just works i just think that you take a great foundation and, and you build piece by piece off of it um I'm, i wish i could think of a bad example of a sequel uh and i'm sure i can in a, in a little bit but that's what it kind of does for me. What is it? What makes a good sequel for you? Uh, I, I mean, I'm, 
pretty much the same thing that you you just laid out. Like I think that what really makes sequels sort of I don't want to say stand out, but like makes them necessary in gaming in particular is if it's if it's story driven driven continuing the story that the first game laid out but more specifically i think that the reason that games are very uh I, I, sequels are necessary in games is to flesh out the more um uh the, like the rough edges there we go that's the right. best way to phrase it like it with i like the first assassin's creed a lot but Assassin's Creed 2 is better in almost every way because it takes what made that first game awesome and then just refined the whole thing. Like it just made the whole thing yeah. that much better. <clears throat> and I think that that's what any good sequel does. Uh, it it takes the, uh, the, the good and then makes it into a better overall entire package. <laughs> I was just going to let it go for as long as we could. Just the complete silence. Yeah. Um, I was trying to think of a bad example of a sequel, honestly. And I, I mean, there are certain things that come to my mind. Like I don't let, and I know, yay, we're talking about it again, but I don't like how Pokemon keeps adding new gimmicks every time they come out with a new generation. I don't think that's necessary. I think that, you know many many generations ago they had the perfect <clears throat> style of game i think they nailed it in heart gold and soul silver and if they would have just kept that cycle going without having you know if you want to introduce a new gimmick that's fine but don't make the past generation's gimmick obsolete when the new generation comes out because then it just feels redundant you don't have to keep doing that you can expand upon the universe that you're building um so i really don't like what sword and shield did i felt like it wasn't a sequel. It was just the next in line, essentially. But I don't like how they do stuff like that. I don't like how we went from Resident Evil 5 to whatever the fuck Resident Evil 6 was. I yeah. don't think that's a good example of a sequel. Um, but yeah, I can't think of any more bad examples. Can you think of a bad example? Um, <clears throat> I mean, I, I, th I think you nailed it with Resident Evil 6. I think Resident Evil 6 is terrible yeah <laughs> but um it's it's hard because most of the games that we really like and enjoy we're going to like the sequels of yeah yeah probably <laughs> uh maybe i i mean i haven't played it but i've heard maybe um kingdom hearts 3 yeah and oh god all right so Here's what they did wrong, okay? <laughs> they made a beautiful fucking world. And when I say they made a beautiful world, I mean the Kingdom Hearts world was beautiful in itself. Kingdom Hearts 3 by itself was visually stunning and appealing. That was the biggest step up that we could have asked for. The combat felt great. They added some new mechanics in there, but they kind of flowed with the story. It made a little bit of sense. Um... But then they took, in my opinion, 
half of the world that they were trying to build with the Square Enix brand, and they just left it out. Obsolete. I think it came back in a DLC. I say I think because I didn't finish the game. I was really disappointed that I made it. I feel like probably halfway through the game and I hadn't seen a single Square character. I feel like you can't do that. That's almost... It's like, why did you build this whole universe with these people? That was kind of the the brand. It was Disney meets Final Fantasy, in a sense. And then here comes the third game, the last iteration, and where my characters that I knew and love, where Sephiroth and Cloud and, um, you know, Leon and all these people, where is everyone at? And they just left it out. Now, I think in the DLC it comes back. I'm not entirely sure. And that's fine, but why was it gone from the game in the first place? Um, mm. And that's just, I don't know. That's why it was bad to me. I think it's visually stunning. And I need to go back and finish it. I know that. But I can't just jump into three because now I need to replay one, two, and then go to three. Um, but I can't do that this year because I got 20 other fucking games I got to play. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I, I fucking feel like that. <clears throat> Um, well, uh, before, before we get started, um, I was expecting you to put in certain games on this list and you did not. So I am going to <laughs> uh, <do that> now. <laughs> wait, what? I was expecting Bloodborne to be on your list. Yeah, truly. I so mean, I, I never, I didn't put it on my, cause I was expecting you to do it. I did that with a lot of these games for the exact same reason. I thought you would put them on your list. One of them you did as an honorable mention. Really? Uh, the bottom one. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because I wanted to put that on my list, but I was like, no, maybe he'll do that for him. The same thing happened with Bloodborne because I know that's your favorite FromSoft game. Yeah. So I thought that would be on your list. Oh, it, w- it was going to be, but I was like, Dylan, Dylan is going to put this on his list. <laughs> <laughs> and then oh you fucking, my god you fucking didn't that's hilarious uh, okay yeah i have i had because i talk a lot about the FromSoft games and the pokemon games and uh stardew valley and stuff like that pretty repetitively on the podcast but i don't talk about the ones that i mentioned on my list if ever yeah. so that's why i chose not to talk about bloodborne yeah well fair enough i uh, i mean in that case uh, I, I do want to say that the reason that um, Bloodborne would would make my list, I mean, I didn't put it on here because, you know, reasons, but <laughs> the reason that it would make my list, I think, is because this is one of those games that I think is the perfect setting to have another game in that you don't necessarily have to have a direct successor to the first game. You're it, not wrong. Kind of the way that, like, the souls games in general work like you're not the yes. same character every time. Right. Um, no. same universe, same, yeah. uh, like the story is just, it's on a continuous cycle. Like you have an end game essentially, but it's, this game is never the same thing twice. Um, and, and like you said, bloodborne would be the perfect thing to do that with. It has one of the most unique and beautiful settings out of any game that I've played, especially in the FromSoft series. It's just perfect. And, the first game was so good as itself. I mean, a remaster has to happen. And I feel like with that remaster could come the hype of a second game. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but they did everything so right in the first game that I would love to see what they do with the sequel because I know FromSoft doesn't deviate too far from the path. They don't do these crazy gimmicks or new introductions that are not necessary or change the gameplay mechanics or add different story elements that don't make sense. They don't do that. They take a great foundation and somehow make the game more fantastic than it was in the previous iteration. So I'm glad we at least get to talk about Bloodborne because that's my example of, you know, you asked me what makes a good sequel and we kind of said that you take a great concept and then you build piece by piece off of it. I think Bloodborne is one of the hardest games to do that with because it's so fucking perfect as it is. It's like it would excite me so much to see what FromSoft, who I trust with all of my heart, what they could truly do with a sequel like that, what they would expand on. I know the graphics would be absolutely amazing and the combat would feel really fluid on this, you know, current generation of systems or PC even. I think it would be great. But how do you build a story on top of what you just built? That's what I would love to see. Yeah, I I 100% agree with you. Um, <clears throat> another one that I thought, well, I wasn't actually sure if you'd ever played this game, so oh, uh, I thought about putting it on there, but then I was like, he probably has, and he probably is going to put it on his, but uh, Knights of the Old Republic, or, or specifically Knights of the Old Republic 2, I guess, would be the one that's getting a sequel. So it was so briefly as a kid that I, again, I hardly remember it. I didn't have a good... Um, hands-on relationship with it i know it's great i know it's beloved by many but no i just it, it didn't even cross my mind huh well fair enough fair enough um cool uh there is one that i want to touch on that didn't make my list uh but or make my list or my honorable mentions because we kind of limited ourselves but um i've talked about it before jade empire i would I, yeah. I would love to see that game like rebooted uh, or remade or something like that. But I would also I would kill for a sequel. I, I think it was perfectly set up for a sequel. Um, and then it just it just never came. Um, yeah, I remember you talking about that. It felt like it wasn't even that long ago. Yeah, I uh, probably wasn't that our like remaster podcast. Yeah, I think yeah that's so. what it was. OK, so maybe like a, a month ago. Maybe. Right. Yeah. Yeah, Jade Empire. Yeah, I good. forgot about that. Okay. Jade Empire. So, are you going to ask the second question in that top set of questions, or I, I figured that we would uh, expand on it? Yeah, yeah, yeah okay, expand I on it so. with e- with each of these games. Um, okay, but uh, but yeah, I, do you want to go first, or would you like me to? Yeah, I don't mind going first. Do, we'll do honor, honorables at the end of it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Actually, hang on real quick before you start. Were there any games that you thought that I would put down that you didn't put down? Damn. I had one. Fuck. God damn it. It'll come back to me. Okay. I'll tell okay. you. Yeah. Um, honestly, I wondered. So I'm glad you chose your honorable mention title that I was talking about. But so the to- the one that I'll start with is actually... Left for Dead 2. So I know this is, I don't even know if this is cheating. It's a fucking Valve game. Of course we want a sequel, right? <laughs> we want Half-Life 3. We want all the other Valve sequels. And Left for Dead is mine. So this is a game that I truly loved. I Left for Dead 1 probably holds more of a strong 
place in my heart, but Left 4 Dead 2, we haven't seen another franchise like that since Left 4 Dead. There has been an attempt with, I think it was, was it called Evolve or something Uh, like that? Yeah. I think it kind of tried to follow in those footsteps. And I think, what's it called? Back for Blood, the new game that's coming out. Mm -hmm. Again, kind of doing the same thing. But it's really hard to capture what Left 4 Dead does so well in other franchises. Like, you can try it, but it's just not going to work how Left 4 Dead did, I feel. And that's something that I feel like we're missing right now in terms of uh, maybe the multiplayer world. Because it feels like we have a lot of battle royales. We have a lot of, you know, team-based shooters and everything, whether it be Call of Duty, Halo, Battlefield, whatever. But we don't have a lot of cooperative shooters outside of, you know, I think of Destiny. But even then, it's more of a competitive game, too. So Left 4 Dead does something very special because it pairs you up with, you know, you and three other of your friends and you take on waves and hordes of zombies walking through like, you know, different levels as they come and you have different modes you can play like survival and the characters that you play as really stand out from one another. And you feel like a lot of times you develop an attachment to one in particular character, like you identify with that person in the game. So it does so good because it gives you like this, it's almost like a set bracket of everything. You have a set amount of maps that you play on. You have a set amount of characters to choose from, and you have a set amount of weapons you can play with in the game. But tell me why it's one of the games that we sink so much hours into, you know, growing up. I want to say growing up, but you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, that we just spent a lot of time with. We don't have that much anymore. And I think on this current generation of systems and what, you know, the, 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 the powerhouse PCs can do, it would make these games look truly beautiful and stand out from what we have right now. Um, I would love to see a Left 4 Dead game with ray tracing and just the kind of the level details that we can have now. Because Left 4 Dead 2 was great, but it didn't really build entirely you know, something new from Left 4 Dead, like the graphics were a bit better for sure, but it's been a long time since we've had a Left 4 Dead game and it's the Valve curse. We'll never get the third generation of any of their fucking franchises, it feels like. But if we did, this would be a great time for Left 4 Dead to come out because we don't have a lot of cooperative based games anymore and that's what I want to see. I want to see them build off of what they did. They don't have to change anything. That's what we've been talking about. They don't have to change anything at all. They just have to kind of build piece by piece off of what they already had. We want to see better graphics. We want to see maybe better level design and just overall atmospheric details that really matter. And four new characters that really stand out from one another and just bring back that sense of a feel good time. Yeah, it's a fucking world riddled by zombies, but we have a great time doing what we do it's always it's you know you 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 can have genuine fright sometimes in those games but a lot of times it's just laughing having a good time they can innovate more zombies that um that are like the power zombies like the tanks screamers boomers whatever spitters i don't even think screamers one of them Uh, (laughs) Um, are they called witches witches yeah, witches are the most fucking terrifying thing. Like, hearing right. that crying. Imagine seeing that, like, in today's 
graphical standpoint like imagine having ray tracing and it's like cutting through like you're walking through a forest and you just see a witch sitting right there in the middle hell nah like that's scary as shit um but there's a lot that they could build on right now it's the perfect time for it um but i could say that about any of the valve games truly i mean mm-hmm. they could make a new orange box collection with all three of the generation three games and it would be my uh wet dream essentially but yeah um left for dead 2 is something that i have a very unique experience with and i would love to see a third iteration did have did you like play it in depth a lot when it was uh prominent uh not left for dead 2 i played a fuck ton of left for dead 1 though yeah um and i i really really love that game uh i think what turned me off from left for dead 2 and i i know this is going to be like a, a stupid complaint but i felt like part of the reason that left for dead one was so good was because it was only ha- uh, like guns so like you had to conserve ammo or like you you had to like manage your resources and i felt like when you got into left for dead 2 and you could do melee stuff it kind of lessened the tension a little bit uh yeah i feel that i actually forgot about the melee weapons until you said that yeah it it didn't kill it for me i still played it but i didn't play it nearly as much as i played one i loved left for dead yeah i played the shit out of left for dead and zoe gang for life um but it was that's what kind of started it all if it had the feel of left for dead one that's actually a good point we don't necessarily need melee weapons do i think they would be in the third game Yes, probably. But if they took it more of a like combined survival horror with what Left 4 Dead 1 did, that would be really cool. I don't know. I don't know. It, it's, it's, a, it's a different concept. But like I said, they don't have to change anything. But if they did, I think they have some pretty cool options. Yeah, I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. Um, <clears throat> so I will not go in order as I am want to do. Uh, and I will start with a little game that came oh out in God. 2015. You're not going to go in order, yeah, I'm not but you're going to start with. I got to I gotta remember what year did this game come out? I'm looking it up right now. You ruined it. That was such a good. You're not going to go in order, but you're going to start with. Please, please don't. This is like you're making me. What's that? What's the thing where you come, but you don't come edging? You're edging. Oh, I'm edging you. (laughs) Yes. What the fuck? Like, I need you to say it to satisfy me. (laughs) Uh, Okay. All right. You're not going to go in order, but you're starting with. Um, I'm starting with the order. Oh, God, I hate you so much. I hate you so much. Uh, yeah, I'm going to go with the order, the order 1887. Oh, God. Um, so, did you ever play the order 1886? Uh, no, but I watched copious amounts of videos about it. I loved it. I loved the atmosphere. Again, it was that gothic style, so I loved yeah. it. Yeah, exactly. So, I don't think that this game is particularly particularly great uh I, like it's nothing that like i'm like holy shit this game is amazing i want more of this um it was very rough around the edges i don't think that the shooting was particularly good i really kind of feel like a lot of the 
gameplay as a whole was very meh. And it really came down to, I feel like, and this is something that um, uh, Colin Moriarty has said like over and over again about this game, but it kind of feels like Ready at Dawn was obsessed with making their engine for this game and they kind of forgot to make a game. And I really kind of believe that. Like, I think that the the Order 1886 is an incredible showcase for what the PS4 could do at that time. Like, they, I still think that game looks really good. Like, I I really yeah. think that it looks really good. Um, but it just, it there wasn't much of a game there. It was a whole bunch of cutscenes thrown together with, like, little walking bits and the occasional shooting. And that was really kind of it. And the reason that I would want a sequel to this game is because then it could build on the gameplay. Like it could make a good game out of this. And I really feel like the story was, uh, I mean, it was, it was okay. It wasn't anything incredible, but like it, it set up enough of a good thing to warrant a sequel and even leaves off on a cliffhanger. But the setting and the world that the game built is rife for sequel potential. Like you could do so much stuff in this world and I would just, I want to go back there. I want to see more stories set in this, in this universe. I think that what they did was write something really cool and got me intrigued and then just failed to deliver something that was incredible. And I really think that a, a sequel, whether it be, you know, the or- the order 1887 or, or, you know, whatever the fuck they would call it. I really feel like it would be something that I could actually sink my, my teeth into. If that makes sense. It does. And it feels like now would be a great time for them to take it, <clears throat> take advantage of that with the PlayStation five still being fresh this is an IP that they, I feel like they did pretty great with it. I'm not going to lie. Just from what I you know, saw as an outsider, like I said, I didn't play it, but yeah. I watched a lot of it. I watched the streams of it. It looks fun. Um, I wish this is a game that they would kind of like Bloodborne would bring to Steam. So a lot, it could have more accessibility, can maybe get people interested in the sequel and get them talking. Like that's how you build hype for something. Um, I don't know. That that's a It's a game that I wasn't, anticipating you to put on your list but i'm glad you did because it just has a very unique setting and isn't this this is werewolves and shit too right yeah werewolves yeah and i uh i want to say there there's something to do with the vampires also uh i i feel like that's a thing that i remember but i could be wrong it's just crazy how your world seems to be revolving around uh werewolves right now uh right <laughs> yeah Excuse just me wait on. till we get what we've been playing yeah <laughs> That's true. Um, okay. Well, are you finished with the order? 1886. Uh, yeah. Okay. So my second one is Castle Crashers. This is a game that I love so much, and I hope that other people love just as much as I do. This is, I never really get a chance to talk about this, but this is a game that I have sunk hundreds of hours into, and it's just a good action from start to end time with a little bit of a wonky story thrown in there but it's it's just fun did you ever play it uh castle crashes 
I want to say that I may have tried it, uh, maybe once, but I, I don't think I ever played it extensively. Really? Okay. Yeah. Cause that's actually shocking. Um, but no, it's a game from uh, Behemoth, I believe it is. The okay, sorry, the Behemoth <clears throat> Studios. They make um, what is it? Battle Block Theater. I think yeah. it was. Yeah, that I have played. I think that game's funny as shit. Really? That's crazy that you've played that, but not um, not Castle Crashers. They made Alien Hominid. Yeah, I've um, played that one also. Yeah. So Castle Crashers was this up to four player co-op adventure is there a theme with this is my top game a co-op game no it is not okay i was making (laughs) sure that because it's going to sound really sad that the one thing that i'm wanting is just more time with my friends that would have been that would have been a little awkward at the end (laughs) (laughs) but no this it's a four player up to four player uh like a 2d hack and slash game and it's just it's a it's a roller coaster of a ride because by yourself it's kind of a difficult game um to to ascertain like you're it's a you know left to right side scrolling game but there's tons of weapons you can find and different enemies to take on and you most certainly have bosses but like you also have magical powers that you can utilize too and you're leveling up in an rpg style you're leveling up i think your i think like your health your magic attack power and defense or something like that i'm not entirely sure which it is but you're essentially going through this world trying to save princesses from an evil sorcerer. Um, and you're taking on all of his minions along the way, but this is just a game that I've not played anything like it ever in my life since this itself. And it has tons of potential to have a sequel. It could literally be like the same four knights that you're playing as these colorful red, blue, orange, and green knights. And you could literally just give us a new set of princesses to take on. Like, it's not even, it's just that kind of goofy of a world. Like, but no, Castle Crashers is what I consider to be a very underrated co-op experience. I truly, because you do a lot of stuff with indie games. I feel like you do. So I'm actually shocked that you've never had a true sit-down experience with it. Um, But there's a lot of, things that could go into a sequel and there are what the first game did well is like yeah you're following along with this story and the world is kind of pretty for what it is it's i'm not going to say it's cell shaded but it's it's just vibrant colorful but you also have a ton of weapons to collect like a shit ton of weapons that you can collect like if an enemy is using the weapon you can eventually like kill them and they will drop that weapon type of thing and you can utilize it um same with the bosses i'm pretty sure for the most part but you also have like these little animal companions that float around next to you and each one of those animal companions do something entirely different one can give you more experience or more attack can make you move faster can obviously increase your defense like there's always something they can do they can attack even some of them i think like a ram or something And it's really fun. You have a lot of customizable options and you can like power up your magic to you start with this tiny little icicle to begin with. But by the end of it, you're flinging yourself into the air with a large icicle from above. And then you're spawning like six of them down in a row on top of your enemies. Um, that was loud. Was that a bark? No, my dog knocked over a basket, but, uh, okay. (laughs) 
Yeah. Uh, actually scared the shit out of me. Um, but no, and, and the different unlockable characters were just something else that kind of added. It's just a ton of unlocks. Like that's what kept the game going. There was replayability to it. You started with four nights, but then you could unlock essentially all of the characters that you beat inside of the game, like the smaller ones, even the sorcerer at the end and like the necromancer, who's another part of it, which might have been DLC. I'm not sure. Um, you could just unlock all these different things to play as, and there was always a reason to go back and do another playthrough or find new weapons or just gave you a reason to keep going. And I don't have that a lot nowadays. And I think Castle Crashers would be a good, just like I have a part two. I don't know what Behemoth is doing right now. I haven't really been following them. I don't know if they're coming out the new game anytime soon. I'm looking on their Wikipedia page and it says alien hominid invasion could be coming, but it also says it's for the switch and the Xbox one. So I doubt that. I, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Um, but it's, they're an underrated developer because they have a lot of great games under their belt. And I wish they would take some time because they did it with alien hominid, but to just expand on the castle crashers universe, because co-op is a thing. It's, it, it's, we, people love just gaming for a little bit of time every day or every night with their friends. And this is just one of those you can sit down and have a good time on. It's not your traditional shoot them up, you know, run and gun game. It's something entirely different. And I think it's something that we need more of. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. Uh, I have had very fond uh, memories of playing co-op games uh, like me and Kayla uh, when we play Overcooked together like that. I really love that game and it's it's because of the fact that it's me and her, you know, experiencing having a together. good time. Right. And that's Sabrina and I played Castle Crashers together like, yeah. We played it like years after the fact, after it came out, but it's actually a game that she had played in her past, and it was a game that I had played in my past, and then when we got together and we started talking about all the things that we loved, Castle Crashers was fucking one of them, which is so cool. So we went back and we got to play that again, and it was just a good time. I mean, like you were saying, it's a good time with our girlfriends, essentially. Like, that's what, you know, gives me enjoyment that she's having fun playing games, because she always sees me playing games you know she plays some here and there but the fact that we got to sit down and do that together that was unique and castle crashers did that so um i'm a little biased because i want that for a sequel like reasoning as well yeah yeah uh, well good pick i i might have to go back and check it out if it's uh backwards compatible and it's on i mean it's on steam oh okay okay yeah well, and the Steam Summer Sale probably starts tomorrow, so... <laughs> you son of a bitch. Uh, all right. Uh, my next pick is for a uh, not-so-obscure um, game known as Chrono Cross. Or not Chrono Cross, sorry. Chrono Trigger. Um, so Chrono Trigger was an SNES game that came out in 94... I could be wrong. Um, 95. Okay. Uh, all right. And basically it's a, uh, turn-based RPG that has, uh, character designs from Akira Toriyama, who is the, uh, creator of Dragon Ball Z. Um, he also did the work for 
I I think he still might do the character design stuff for Dragon Quest. Um, but uh, yeah, so technically Chrono Trigger sort of got a spiritual successor or or spiritual sequel or whatever with Chrono Cross, uh, which I actually think is a very underrated game. I I actually really like that game a lot. Uh, it's not the most incredible game that's ever been made or whatever, but like it's, it is underrated, I think. But what really I think stood out to me when I, when I originally played Chrono Cross was that it was able to do something that I'll actually kind of talk about in, um, when I talk a little bit about Ratchet and Clank later is it's able to take separate story threads across multiple different, um, like timelines and and create this sort of cohesive whole that you I wouldn't normally expect from something that is supposed to happen like this. Like you meet a cave woman, but and she becomes like part of your your uh your party or whatever and but you also deal with like her little storyline and it's not like you deal with her story and then you go off to a different time adventure or, or, or a different age or whatever, and then deal with a, another person or whatever. Like all of these stories kind of coalesce into one really unique, like s- story. I mean, <laughs> there's no really other better way to put it, but like I became really attached to a lot of these, these characters. Uh, I'm trying to think of the, um, the name of the girl with the purple hair. Um, she's sort of the scientist like character. God, what was her name? Uh, her name was it Marl? No, Luca. Luca, that is it. That's her name. Okay. Um, I I became really attached to her, and I really like the uh, the frog character. I think his name literally was just Frog. Um, but like, I just really like this game a lot. I think it has a lot of the trappings of the old Final Fantasies, which speaks to me. It's very, you know, it's the turn base. It's a very expansive story and all that stuff. But I, I really fucking love this game. Um, it's up there in terms of RPGs with like Final Fantasy four, and six for me. Uh, I, I really fucking like this game a lot. And uh, I would love to see a sequel involving these characters specifically. Um, but yeah, it's it's good. Uh, I, th- I think this game is something that everyone has been fucking clamoring for for a really long time. Uh, and I would like to see it return. It's on my list of it's on my list of shit to hopefully f- play and finish this year. Maybe I uh, like, I, I dabbled in it when I was young, but it was a long, I mean, I've not changed throughout my entire life. I dabble and then I move on. So it's actually now that I'm older, I'm trying to really sit down and delve into these games and play them expansively, um, exploratively, whatever. And Chrono triggers on the list. I have it on steam. It's ready to go. It's downloaded. Um, and I, I just remember having a good time with it and it was a really captivating world. So from that standpoint, 
I agree. I would like to see more stuff. When you say sequel, how do you want the sequel to be portrayed? Do you want it to be original style or do you want it to be something new? Uh, personally, I would like it to be the sort of 16-bit RPG right. sort of thing. Um, okay. If if they updated it uh, with like to to something similar to like a Final Fantasy VII remake or something like that, oh, I think shit. I'd be okay with it. But I I kind of feel like a lot of people are like it, they're like oh you know new graphics and it, it looks so pretty and stuff like that, and they look at the older you know. 8-bit and 16-bit games, and they're like, oh, that's so ugly. But I kind of look at these games and think that they're beautiful. Right? Um, no, I agree 100%. So I, I, I would... I, personally, I would like them to return to the sort of 16-bit, especially if you're going to do turn-based. I feel like turn-based works a lot better without modern graphics. Yeah, Pokemon. Yeah, 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 exactly. Pokemon is a perfect example of that. <clears throat> no. Yeah. Okay, well, that brings me to Sleeping Dogs, which is a great fucking game. It is so good, and this in itself, it's not really a sequel. It's a branch of the true crime series. It, it's like the next generation of true crime, I guess you could say. Right? Would you agree? Uh, Yeah, yeah. In a way. Okay, so... Sleeping Dogs was... I prefer Sleeping Dogs over Grand Theft Auto. Um, I actually think I agree with you. Yeah, it was just a much better story and take. Specifically from a story standpoint, I mean, it hooks you in. You are following along with essentially an undercover cop who is making himself, like making his way into the triads, but he also is a street kid as well. So as he's making his way into these triads, he starts to develop like a familial bond with these guys too. So at some point, the line between cop and gangster becomes blurred. And obviously I will not mention a single spoiler about this game because I think if you haven't played it, you absolutely should experience it. But the line becomes blurred and, I uh, you know drama ensues but that's what makes this game so great on they had this really big hustling bustling world in China and I haven't got to see that before like with all the Grand Theft Auto games you know we get stuff that's based here but in Sleeping Dogs I forget I don't know if it was a fictional place or what um where if was it Hong Kong or is that I think it me? was Hong Kong was it yeah um yeah, so I'm trying to find it. I can't see it. Um, but anyway, so it just I got to see this universe that I hadn't seen before with, you know, we're very familiar with the Italian mafia or the gangs of today's world, but we personally don't get to see the side of the triads a lot. You know, even with the Yakuza, we see that a good bit because they have their own fucking game. But, um, that you know, this we don't really see. So we got to explore these new environments and then gameplay mechanics like jumping from car to car that shit was crazy and that's something that they did well they didn't try to add full-on realism to the game they put in some fantasy elements too in a sense some kung fu action movie style shit which is really cool they didn't mm -hmm. take it as far as saints row 
but it wasn't as real as Grand Theft Auto either. It was more of like an action movie. Um, and I just want to see the universe expanded on because everything they did from the story to the cars you could drive to the side missions and the side characters and increasing and increasing uh, your reputation amongst the streets, just all the collectibles that you could do, like the, the, the martial arts classes to improve your own abilities. That was unique. That was fun. Mm-hmm. That was a nice break from the norm that Grand Theft Auto has become. And I really want to see this stepped into again. There was a sequel planned and it was canceled. I fucking hate that because this is something that could have been so much more. This is, this would have been a nice franchise to see branch out a little bit, not necessarily, maybe even in the same sense of Grand Theft Auto. We don't get a new GTA every year or every two years. We get it multiple out we haven't had a new G- what uh five was released in 2013 right yep so we're a long way away from when that was released so if sleeping dogs could follow the same pattern i think it could be fantastic and again i bring this up because i think it's crucial to say at this at this junction but we have the ps5 and the xbox refrigerator and pcs that are capable of so much in terms of power and volume in these games that a, like a hustling and bustling China would look so fucking good. If they could take even a little bit of what happened with cyberpunk and night city and put it into a sleeping dogs universe, it would be beautiful. And I, I don't, I just, I, I wish a sequel could have another shot. I think there was talks of a film adaption. I have no idea if that's happening or not, but I think this is a, a franchise that would actually do well as a film adaption. Truly. Um, it would, it would give, uh, a new light because we never, we don't see a lot of Asian media, um, in the States. So this would be something else. Like I recently watched, um, Raya, the, the new Disney movie. Like that was great because I had a, if, if rightfully so I had an all Asian based cast. And I think this would be a good chance for that to just kind of perpetuate that, um, that we're finally starting to see more of now with like Mulan Raya, but this is like another side. This is, this is truly a part of that culture and we don't really get to see a lot of it. So I think it would be nice to kind of have that, um, that, that look into that as well. But in terms of a sequel, this is something that is an untapped market. It's we, we have one game like this in the world right now and that's grand theft auto five. Um, I get the Yakuza as a thing, but personally, I've never had a draw to that myself. Mm. Um, Saint Row seems dead to me. Yeah. And what is that? Yeah. I mean, and then Mafia, but that just seems to be getting remasters at this point, if I'm not mistaken. I know three came out, what, a few years ago, but there, there's always room for something else. And I think this would be a heavy hitter if they just put the time into developing it like it should be. And if I'm not mistaken, no. Square was the publisher, right? Uh, yeah, they just published it. It was a Canadian team. Okay, because um, I was just United Front like Games, I think. Okay, because we went from one Square game to another, which I mean, they still have their hands in the pot, but Square Enix just you know sequelize all your games, Final Fantasy, every franchise. That's what they should do. Yeah, <laughs> we need yeah. Sleeping Dogs thirteen and Chrono Trigger fourteen. That's what we need. Yeah. Right. Um, 
Dude, yeah, that's uh, that's a good choice. I I really like this game a lot. Um, and you're right. I don't feel like you do get a lot of uh, Chinese. Um, like you get a lot. There's a lot of stuff about like Japan, but there's not a whole lot of stuff set in China. And I I think this game was really fucking good. Um, and I know that you said you've never really appealed to Yakuza, but I kind of like compare this more to not necessarily compare it more to Yakuza because it's not it's not it's 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 closer to Grand Theft Auto in that uh in in that sort of style of gameplay but I, when I say I compare it to Yakuza is because it takes the stuff that makes like Yakuza takes the stuff that makes Japan unique and and funny and 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 you know, whatever else and kind of distills that down into a game. And it also doesn't do this weird like thing where it's got like this massive sprawling world, but it's kind of like not really populated, but it's like a very small chunk of a city and it's massively populated with all kinds of little things for you to do and all kinds of characters for you to seek out and shit like that. And I feel like that's exactly what sleeping dogs was like, except in China. Did you happen to play Like a Dragon? Uh, so I started Like a Dragon. Uh, I wanted to get to it before our Game of the Year stuff. And then I had a fall off because I forget what game. Something came out and I was like, I, I need to play this because I'm sure that it's going to come up in our Game of the Year. And then I just never went back to it. Because it's on Game Pass. So I was wondering if I should try it. But like you, you heard my backlog already. It would just be yeah. another fucking game at this point. But I don't know. It is an, it is an option, especially if you say it kind of has a, a similar vibe. It came out on the the ninth of November. So who the fu- that was that was right during peak release time of a lot of shit. So yep. who knows what you got bogged down with? Who, yeah, who the fuck knows? But uh, yeah, Sleeping Dogs, good good choice, good choice. Thank you, buddy. Uh, my last one is a little game called Alan Wake. <sighs> okay. So I know that this game technically has ties to the control universe. Like they're that Well, not the control universe. It, they're both kind of set in the same universe. So in certain okay. I ways, I didn't fucking know that. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, so in certain the ways there is a sort of sequel to Alan Wake, but, there's not a actual direct sequel to this. I love Alan Wake. I think it is one of those really offbeat and super weird. I, I mean, fuck, it's a remedy game. You know what I mean? Like remedy just, they makes, they make these really exceptional, really kind of weird games that are triple a quality, but have like this sort of like, indie spirit behind them. Uh, <coughs> and I love Alan Wake. I think that this game is, I, uh, I don't want to say it's my favorite 360 era game, but it is definitely up there. Uh, at least top five for sure. Um, I think that it has some really, really fucking cool, uh, like really, meta moments to it. I think that it has some really cool mechanics, like the idea that like enemies will have armor and that you can burst it off with light from a flashlight or even a flare gun or stuff like that in order to damage them. I think that that's a cool concept. 
I really like the idea that it has, that it's sort of, uh, it has its own like fictional world, but within that fictional world, there are other fictional worlds and shit like that. Like there are so many like little different layers to Alan Wake that I just adore. I, I especially I do. I really love the fact that it is modeled a lot like uh, Twin Peaks. I fucking love that show. I think that show is excellent. Um, and I, I don't know, man. I'm just, I love anything that Remedy does. I loved Control. I think Control's the best game of 2019. Uh, you can fucking quote me on that shit. Um, I loved Alan Wake, and I think that the only game that probably beat that out for Game of the Year in 2010 for me was Red Dead Redemption. And they actually, if I remember correctly, released the same fucking day. Um, oh, shit. I I love Red Dead Redemption, um, and Alan Wake was a, like, it, it had Red Dead Redemption not come out, Alan Wake probably would have been my game of the year that year. I love Remedy. I want to see them do more in this universe so bad. (sighs) I wish I would have taken the time to actually play it. Again, this is one of the things that I watch. I watch, you know me, I watch a lot of games being played, but then I play like, I play a lot too. But some games I just don't have time to play myself. So that's why I go to Twitch and I watch all these things. Alan Wake was one of them and it looked like a fucking blast to me. I had no idea that the worlds were connected between that and control. I had zero idea. So you just blew my mind. Yeah. It's uh if I remember correctly, it's a, is it maybe a stinger at the end of control? I don't remember where it's revealed, but in control, there is a little like, uh, sort of like teaser that Alan Wake is connected in that universe. Um, that is absolutely insane to me. Yeah. Can you play it on Game Pass? Uh, Control or Alan Wake? Uh, Alan Wake. I believe that you can. I'm, oh, I'm fairly positive that you can. It's about to get real. Let's see. Oh. I don't know. I'll, I'll keep looking. Okay, so is it honorable mention time? Uh, yes, honorable mention time. Let's get to it. Okay, um, I'll be quick about mine. Um, I'll do them both real quick, just to knock them out. Yeah. Okay. Um, Geometry Wars. So this is, it's just a game that I love. It's it's not really, I mean, you've played it, right? Uh, Geometry Wars, I've played a little bit. I've, I've never beaten it. Okay, and it's, I think... I don't even know if, I mean, you could beat two technically. I don't know. Three, you most definitely could. There was more of a, like a, like a path that you followed on adventure mode, but it's just a fun game. It's a, it's a vibrant, colorful retro style, top down shooter. But even in the third game, like they innovated it miles above two because you had like this 3d surface you could roam around on, but it was still that top down really you know really fun arcadey shooter that's why i love it so much and just the the overall colors in that game holy shit if you have access to any type of drug do them while playing that game (laughs) (laughs) it's just it's it's such a good time and yes it can be frustrating but it's frustrating in a good way it's frustrating in the get good kind of way um and they at three did a really great job at innovating from two. So it's been a hot minute. I think it came out in 24. 
15, I think. So it's been seven years almost since we've had a Geometry Wars game. I'm not saying there's a lot of demand for it. I'm just saying that it would be a lot of fun to see a new one. Um, so that aside, the other one, no shock, but it would be Spyro 4. Um, I don't... What, so what happened with Toys for Bob? They're no longer a thing, right? They no longer... Uh, so they they still exist, but they are working on Call of Call Duty, Duty. Now. Right. So fuck them for that. Not <laughs> Toys for Bob, but fuck Activision in its entirety um, for that shit. Because that's who I would have want to see do Spyro 4. Um, I, anyone who listens to the podcast knows that I love Spyro at this point. They know the, the goals that I was trying to set for while I was streaming on Twitch, everything like that. So this is just the next step. I don't want to see it in the same regards of what happened? What was it? That was Year of the Dragon. I think it was Year of the Dragon. Or no, yeah. uh, Year of the Dragon Fly. Three. Oh, it's like Enter the Dragonfly or some shit. Yeah, something. It was like something that. stupid. They had a concept that could have worked, but ultimately it did not work. And it's a fucking joke at this point. It was. It's first and foremost. It's not Spyro Four. I will say that. There are Spiral 1, 2, and 3, and then little side games that happened after that. We have never had a 4. So now, just like Crash 4, would be the perfect time to have that because we have the excitement of these uh, these two franchises coming back alive. We had the Reignited Trilogy, and then we had the um, Insane Trilogy, followed by Crash 4. So where's my Spyro 4? I think now is a great time to do it if Toys for Bob could you know, work on something. You don't fucking need help on Call of Duty. I mean, really? <laughs> of all fucking things, you take toys for Bob to work on Call of Duty. That makes me so infuriated. Mm. Um, but yeah, just honorable mentions, Geometry War, Spyro 4. Okay. Good good picks. Um, I'll talk, I'll save the best for last. <laughs> uh, my first... Um, Honorable mention is a little RPG from the PS1 days called Vagrant Story. Uh, oh, get, shit. I remember her tits. Oh, oh, my. <laughs> yeah, like the cover art for that game. I remember that. I have no idea what the game is, but I remember the cover art. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so this was a game that I picked up on a whim when renting video games was still a thing. And I fell in love immediately. Uh, so this uh, was a a Squaresoft game um, that was kind of different from Final Fantasy in that it was almost, uh, it was kind of almost the, well, for me, not it, not in like real life, but for me, it was kind of like the first sort of um, semi-step between turn-paced RPGs and action RPGs. And it kind of felt almost like a rhythm game with the with the combat and stuff, but it also had a lot of stuff that was going on with like the character customization and the crafting for the for the weapons, and the story was really deep. I remember the story uh, being well. I know it now, but it's set in Evil East, was that which is actually. Uh, the um, world that Final Fantasy Tactics and Final Fantasy Twelve are shared in, uh, which is actually kind of fucking cool. Um, but yeah, I I remember 
playing this game and feeling like it was something completely unique in the land of RPGs at the time. Like you didn't have item shops. There were no real player interactions with like any of the, the NPCs. Um, and it was very cinematic. Uh, I don't know, man. I, I really loved this game. Um, and I would, I would love to see a sequel or even a reboot because I feel like it could be deserving of that. But yeah, good stuff. Um, it looks cool. Like I said, I never saw it, but funny enough, I just remember the cover art. I don't know. Yeah, that, that cover art is very striking. Like, yeah, I, I think that that's probably the reason that I picked it up. Probably not even knowing it was a Squaresoft game. I was <laughs> that looks cool. And then lucky surprise. Yeah. But um, the next one, the big one. The big win, Portal 3. Uh, yes. Portal and Portal 2 are masterpieces, like, just straight up. I I love Portal 2 specifically. Portal 1 is still really great, but Portal 2 has got so much comedy involved. Uh, I think Stephen Merchant actually plays uh, Wheatley, I think is his name, right? Yeah. Um, and he's fucking hysterical. Uh, and I love having GLaDOS be sort of your companion throughout. I really feel like it took the first games, uh, like really amazing puzzle mechanics and just improved them. And then also added this really awesome story and a really great script. And it even kind of feels like it went in, in different areas too. Like it has, I feel like it has more to do than just like the lab setting. Like there's a lot more to it. Um, I love portal two and I really want more of it. So I would love to have valve be like, okay, we're going to do portal three. We know that's never going to (laughs) happen, but, um, but yeah, I I love these games and I, I I want more. Yeah, and that was the obviously now that we've come full circle, that was the other game that I was talking about. Um it was there, man. Uh it's a hard time choosing between Love for Dead and Portal. Um I love them both respectively for what they did. Portal 2 was fantastic. Um I think earlier when we were talking about what a perfect sequel looks like, I think Portal 2 is that perfect sequel. Um, oh yeah they took a yeah they took a core foundation and then they built immensely on top of it to where you were no longer just in testing chambers you were out and about and you were still having to complete all these puzzles and make it from beginning to end but you were actually on a fucking mission and they incorporated new mechanics into the game that really worked out like with all the goo and shit that you could run on and bounce on and do all that kind of stuff like it was really awesome the way that they took their puzzle concept and made it more of a puzzle um truly did a great job with it and giving it story and bringing the characters to life and just that kind of innovative look to me was taking glados who was the villain of the first game and now she is your irreplaceable potato that's strapped right there to your gun (laughs) (laughs) and truly made for one of the most memorable gaming companions and just franchises of all time. I think that was in our top characters of all time. I think she made it probably pretty high or maybe. Yeah. Um, But yeah, man, portal two, it was a hard, it was hard not to put that in the top three for me. 
Um, but I'm glad you at least had it, had it on your mentions. Yeah. I, I really want those games, but we'll see. We, we will see. <laughs> um, all right. That was the topic. That was the topic. Um, so why don't we get into what we've been playing? Um, I've got a bunch of demos, so I'll go ahead and knock out all of my demos real quick, and then we'll get to what you've been playing. Okay. Or, well, we'll trade back and forth after that, but I'll knock out okay. all the demos real quick. Uh, so I played the Sable demo. Um, did you see this during the, the Games Fest or whatever? I didn't. I'm pulling it up right now. I typed in Sable like a fucking idiot, and I got the animal. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, uh, Sable is this, uh, sort of, I don't want to call it, uh, an action colorful as shit, but like, because it's, it's, it's more like an action adventure game, I guess. But, um, it's coming from a team of two people, which I just found out today, actually. Holy shit. Yeah. Uh, and the... Uh, well, something crazy is going on upstairs. Um, <laughs> well, so, uh, they put out a demo that looks to me like it's at the beginning of the game. I could, I could be wrong, but it's about an hour long. And the first thing that I thought when I was playing this is this game looks incredible. Uh, That's what I was saying. It looks beautiful, dude. I, I don't even know what kind of art style you would call this. It reminds me of Okami in a way. Yeah, yeah, in a weird way. It it almost feels like uh, I don't want to say comic booky, but like it has yeah. sort of like all, all hmm. like it, it almost looks cel shaded. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like I I don't know what the fuck to call it, <laughs> but it's gorgeous. I I like I was kind of blown away when I went in. I was like, this is just such a unique art style and so it's so pretty to look at. Like I found myself just stopping and, and kind of like not pausing the game, but like, like quote unquote pausing just to look at the scenery around me. It's all set in like a desert thing. So it's not like it's different locales and shit like that, but it's still, it's so striking. It's such a nice visual style. And I noticed little things that I thought were just really cool. Like the way that like you can tell that there's a, you can tell that there's a day night cycle and like you can even start to see it because like shadows will grow longer as the sun is setting and shit like that. And then like the palette changes, not from like a complete blackness, but like this purple blue at nighttime. And it's just like, it bathes everything in that. And it's so fucking pretty dude. Like it's so pretty. Um, the gameplay, I don't think is anything necessarily to like write home about uh i kind of had uh a little bit of getting used to the controls when i when i first started because it felt like sometimes like i would be trying to go in one direction and like if i toggled or not toggled but like if i messed with like the the camera at all like it it almost felt like um i would lose my bearing if that makes sense like yeah. on where I was supposed to be headed. But um, I don't know. This game or this demo really intrigued me. Uh, I I want to see more of this game. Uh, I think the, the full release is in September. Um, yeah, that's what I see on Steam. 
Yeah. So, uh, yeah. September 23rd. Uh, but yeah, this, this game has me intrigued to say the least. It looks intriguing. Beautiful. Yeah. That, that's the one thing that really like stood out to me is like this game is, I, I'm not sure if this is coming to game pass or not, but it stood out to me as something that was incredibly striking. And, and that alone made me want to like, just play more of it. Um, but the next demo that I, wa- uh, that I played was the Final Fantasy Origins, uh, Strangers of, uh, what the fuck was it called? The Stranger of Paradise. And this is the Team Ninja, um, sort of Neo meets, um, uh, Neo meets, uh, what the fuck would you call it? Um, Final Fantasy. God damn. I don't know why. <laughs> oh, no. Figure that out. <laughs> oh, shit. Uh, but. All right. So this game or this this demo, I'm not sure how long it was uh, in total because I stopped playing it almost immediately. Um, This feels like something that would have really appealed to me when I was an edgy fucking teenager in like 2005 or something like that. Like I could see me totally getting into this game because it feels or it felt like a sort of, I I don't want to say devil may cry uh, because it's not like devil may cry. I feel like it's very fast uh, and this feels a little bit more like deliberate and like slow paced, but it's, it's in that same vein. It, so it's from uh team ninja who was the guys who did Neo, um, which is the sort of uh, Japanese souls like, um, which I'm not a fan of. I, I actually detest those games. I think they are. Awful. Yeah. I couldn't get into them. I have people that will praise them till they turn blue in the face, but I cannot get into them. Yeah. I'm, it's not for me at all. Uh, but so the game starts out with like a little tutorial guiding you through how the combat works. And then it kind of throws you into the, the quote unquote story of the demo. And I immediately was like, this game looks bad. Like this game looks like a PS3 game. Uh, at least to me. And then I got through like the first little section. Um, and I, it was like a whole bunch of like picking up items and like it all, it was almost like it felt like a loot game. And I was like, I'm like, this is just, this is not what I'm looking for. I don't play a final fantasy game to play fucking Neo or destiny. Like, I'm not into a loot grind and I don't want to play this action oriented thing that like just isn't fun to play. I, I fucking hated it. (laughs) It looked neat, but I fuck, I'm not gonna, I mean, you're the final fantasy hero. Um, Yeah. So here's the thing, man. Like, I don't know if I'm actually a final fantasy fan anymore. Oh, dude, that that's almost sad. <laughs> like, I I adore that PS One trilogy. 
I really like Final Fantasy X. I like a bunch of the old games that never made it to, to PlayStation, like I, like one through six or whatever. I, I love a lot of those games too, but like thirteen, I, I actually have never played twelve, so I need I need to give that a shot. But but starting with thirteen, I feel like I've been let down by every entry in some way, in, in some big way. I think seven remake is maybe the exception because seven remake, I think is excellent all the way through. And the ending leaves so much to be desired for, for me from a storytelling perspective, because it feels like it's a sequel to a movie based on a game or I don't know. Like it, it feels like Kingdom Hearts. Oh, and I fucking hate that. Oh no, I hate that so much. But, but the I game itself is is fucking great. I really fucking love the game that is Seven, and it's just the ending that really lets me down and kind of takes the bloom off of a perfectly beautiful rose. And then I get shit like this that has Final Fantasy in the title. And I'm like, this is not fucking final fantasy. Like it just isn't. And it, I don't know. It, it bothers the fuck out of me. And I, I'm starting to wonder if it is a series that's for me anymore. Oh, that's sad. That's like hearing, uh, it's like hearing that as a gamer, it feels like you're watching your friend, like lose a relative. (laughs) (laughs) I this mean, is something that's been with you your whole life. Yeah. Uh, that sucks. It, yeah, it does. I mean, it, it does. Uh, but, I mean, it is what it is. Um, whatever. Uh, <laughs> the, but the last thing that I, that I, the last demo that I uh, played was the Scarlet Nexus demo. Um, and so this is going to be the action RPG from uh, Bandai Namco, I believe. Uh, and this is the sort of anime looking game. Um, and I liked this quite a bit. Um, I don't know how the the final product is going to be. Um, and I kind of hope that... Uh, that it picks some things up a, uh, a little bit better than what is handled in the um, in the demo, but I I had a lot of fun. So the combat is kind of mixed around, like um, kind of like combos. Uh, well, or it's supposed to be. Uh, I don't know that it necessarily feels like that all the time, but it's still a lot of fun to play when you like link your attacks with other members in your party. Um, and you kind of like, they add your own pool of abilities, uh, that like make up special talents that, that you can use. Um, but I think that that's a really cool sort of like, way to make combat more interesting and is this open world by any chance not not in how i played it it might be more in the um in the actual game itself but it didn't feel like open world me i'm not gonna lie this is the first time i'm hearing slash seeing about it 
I just, I've missed it. I don't know why. And I'm looking at it. It reminds me of Code Vein in a, a little bit. Yeah, okay. I can totally see that. Code Vein's um, underrated. I wholeheartedly agree. I never finished Code Vein because I'm that person, but <laughs> I did thoroughly enjoy it because it's very Souls-like. Um, this, while it looks like Code Vein, looks like it does something completely different because I'm watching the gameplay. First off, the fact that it comes out tomorrow really sucks because now this is making me want to add another game to my list. Oh, I shit. It comes out afford. tomorrow? Yeah, it says coming June 24th. Oh, This game will unlock shit. in approximately 21 hours, dude. Yeah. But it looks so good, man. Like, the everything that I'm seeing, like the boss fights and stuff, shit looks awesome. Yeah, yeah. I... Dude, the 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 minute to minute gameplay, especially the combat, I thought was really fucking fun. Um, there there are some things that like I I wish it was uh, doing a little bit better, but as a as a whole, I I thought that that the combat was was really fucking fun. Um, and there was something else that I was not expecting. Like I really fucking like the music of this demo uh i presume it's going to be for the full game i thought that it was really good um but uh yeah it it intrigued me um this is a game that seems like it's cut from the same cloth as the tales series of games and um uh and like you said good vein like it really fucking you you nailed it i didn't even think about that until until you said that but yeah Man, um, you actually got me a little excited for this. I, if the summer sale starts tomorrow, I'm fucked because I'll wind up spending money on that. But this is going on the wish list to play this sometime this year because it looks so damn good. Yeah, dude, it, I I enjoyed my time with it, so I That's I'm looking crazy. forward to this. Did not realize that it comes out fucking tomorrow. <laughs> Yeah, this isn't going to be... There's no way this, this is going Game Pass, right? No uh, I doubt it. Uh, I mean, I can look at it, though. That would be so beneficial to me. I would play this day one. Scarlet Nexus. Will it be available on Game Pass at launch? Um, and the... the, the um, the core specs you need to run it for a PC, they're not bad at all. A lot of people can probably run this in max settings. Yeah, it's possible. Uh, so Bandai Namco said that we have no plans to bring Scarlet Nexus to Game Pass at this time. Good. Well, fuck you then. All right, fuck <laughs> your stupid game. All right. No, it just looks really colorful, and I like the whole like psionic type of mm -hmm. um, ordeal because that's the shit that I'm into kind of that whole, like the neon cybernetic look of stuff. Like I like that. Um, so you might've just sold them a copy of the game to me. Hey, uh, I, well, fuck maybe to you, yeah. I might get it. And then Austin, I mean, it's anime. It's this very looks anime. like it's right up his fucking ass, dude. Yeah. This is his <laughs> game. So yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm excited, man. Check it out. For sure. Tell me about... Uh, Let me tell you about this right here. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Because <laughs> it's the one that I've, I'll probably go the fastest with. So um, I have been playing Stardew Valley as of today again. Um, 
So I kind of talked about it in the beginning of this, but my goal is to, by the end of the year, have it beaten in the sense of beating Stardew and however you can actually beat it. Um, I don't think there is truly an an end game, but as long as I can get myself there, I will consider it beaten because I've never been there before. Um, so just right off the bat of playing it again today and just diving into it, this was a six-hour gaming session, which I don't often do, but if there's one game to do it, it would be my favorite game of all time. So immediately I'm starting to connect with the characters and I'm starting to gravitate towards characters that I've not really dealt with a lot before, um, especially as love interests, but also just like friendly companions too, because that's that's what Stardew is at its core. It's not just a a farming sim or a mining sim or whatever you want to call it. This is a, it's a social game. You're building relationships within Stardew Valley itself. Um, and that's what, that's where the game truly shines at and will get you connected because each person is different. They don't have the same interests. They don't have the same story. They don't speak to you the same or think of you in any regard the same. And the more you build on one relationship isn't necessarily indicative of how another relationship is going to go. And when I say relationship, that's not in terms of a romantic necessarily, just in terms of building. It's like a friend. You're building a relationship with them. So that's something that I'm truly always enamored with when it comes to Stardew because they do it like no other game. I say they. It's he. He does it. He builds the game. It's one developer builds this game to what it is today. And on top of the characters just drawing you into this world and making it feel alive there is so much to do like between me waking up to do the farming that i need to do because i don't have sprinklers yet like there's mining that has to be done so you can like get all the ores you need to level up your equipment and like your watering can and stuff like that and you need like certain ingredients from the mine to repair the community center which is the ultimate goal that's what I think part of the end game will be is completely redoing the community center. But then there's fishing and which is a joke in itself when it comes to me, because that's all I do in the game and in real life. And, um, there's foraging as well. There's always something to do while building relationships with the characters while trying to repair the community center. You're doing quests for people like off of a little quest board or they can send you mail or something like that. And it seems that since I have come back to playing, they have, I keep saying they, he has added so much to this game in terms of content that I didn't know was even like, remotely close to coming out on the radar there's now apparently if you make it far enough into the game you can explore different islands so Mm. what the fuck is that that's pretty cool um apparently there's a fucking volcano somewhere that's kind of awesome yeah um there's npcs that i've never met in the game because i've never made it that far there's a witch never made it to her before so there's a lot that i have going for me in this game and I'm always finding something new to do um, like today I happen to have it's I got incredibly lucky when I'm talking lucky I mean like I don't know if it's the equivalent of finding a shiny or not I feel like that's probably wrong but I found this item called a prismatic shard and it's one of the most rarest items you can find in the game 
and come to find out, like I was just walking along and I carried it into this place. And by me carrying it into this place, it gave me one of the best weapons in the game. I was completely blown away. Like you're always finding something new. There's always secrets to be had. The more that you spend like time-wise with the game, the more it'll open up to you, not just in terms of what you can do, but what you, I guess what your boundaries are, your knowledge is it's, it's always continuing. You're always learning something in the game. And I think that's what makes it so enticing. So even though I've played it for hundreds and hundreds of hours, <laughs> I've never seen the end game. And there's always something that I'm learning every day that I'm playing. And I, that's why it keeps me coming back to it. Well, very nice. Very nice. I need to, I need to go and play that, but. <sighs> just so much shit all the time. <laughs> um, speaking of so much shit all the time, uh, I have put a, mm, at this point probably two or three hours into uh, Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart. Uh, it looks good. I so okay. Well, let's just start there. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart is without hyperbole, I think the best looking game on the PS five or Xbox series X. Uh, this game that says a lot. Yeah. I, I mean, so the only, the only thing that I could maybe make a case for being, being better would maybe be, uh, demon souls remake. Yeah. That's Strict- where I was going. <laughs> yeah. Strictly because the lighting and the, well, I mean, the, the way that game looks is fucking insane. Like, it, it really is. But, like, from a art design and from a, like, like, uh, okay. So this is something that I've been saying about Resident Evil Village. It's something I've said about Last of Us Part Two. The attention to detail with Ratchet and Clank is astounding. Like, fucking astounding dude this looks like a playable pixar movie and i know that everyone is fucking Holy saying shit. that but like it just fucking does dude it like this game is so fucking pretty and it's not just like from a character model standpoint but like the way that the the first area that you go into uh after the initial little start is uh, is a place called nefarious city uh, I hope that that's not a spoiler that for anybody. That sounds nefarious. Uh, what now? I said that sounds kind of nefarious. <laughs> I hate you so much. Uh, <laughs> uh, but it's like neon-soaked, uh, almost cyberpunk-esque. Hell yeah, you sold me. Like, I, it's it's fu- it's futuristic, obviously, uh, but like, it's so beautiful dude it's so fucking pretty and there are characters everywhere and there's there's so many little th- like uh, uh like off the beaten path sort of places that you can go and find and like it's just so pretty it's just so pretty it's uh and i'm playing on on performance ray tracing mode so it's the full 60 uh, FPS um, with with the ray tracing and it's just it's actually stunning to look at. I mean, like just straight up. 
Um, but outside of that, though, I really feel like the gameplay loot is as solid as it's ever been. It's very Ratchet and Clank. Uh, like you have an entire arsenal of guns that you can like level up and um, like each of them is very unique from the other. And they're all they're all really fun. Like they're all really fun to 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 mess around with. Um, so far, I, it I haven't gotten far enough to get like all of the guns. Um, but I am really digging the, uh, what the fuck was it called? Um, uh, it's, it's a game that shoots out like a giant fucking beam. Um, the Negatron Collider, maybe I really like that. It just, it feels nice. Like it really feels nice to like pull off something. Um, because it is one of those it's it's almost like the Spartan laser in Halo where like it, it oh okay it takes time to like kind of like build up but once it does it releases like this fucking devastating attack and it's really i i don't know i i've really been having a lot of fun with it because it's it's making me choose specific um ways to handle enemies, I guess is the best way to put it. Uh, but something that I think is a really awesome sort of, um, quality of life thing is that they are allowing the upgrades, uh, across both. So, I I mean, it's no secret. There are two main characters. There's ratchet and then there is, um, rivet and it, is allowing the upgrades across both characters. And I could really have seen them going a route where they said, well, no, you gotta like, this is a way to expand the game. You have to get the, um, the power ups or the upgrades or whatever across both characters, but they don't do that. And that's fucking awesome. Um, so far the enemy designs have been all relatively unique. I feel like the, um, the, the bosses have been kind of samey. I've only fought three bosses, I think. Uh, but they've all kind of been like these, like almost like mech type. Uh, I don't want to call them creatures, but like the, these mechs, so to speak. Um, so they felt kind of samey, but the rest of the enemies have felt pretty, pretty varied, which I think is, it's definitely necessary if you're doing the same sort of like same sort of thing over and over again. Um, and, uh, I haven't got enough into the story so far to really, uh, have a take on it, but I really like rivet as a character. Um, she's just super cute and I am excited to, to play more with her and to, to kind of get her story. Uh, because it seems like she could have some interesting stuff going on. Um, but yeah, I'll probably have beat it by the time we reconvene next week and I'll have some full thoughts, but I am enjoying the shit out of it. Uh, I think it's very good. Yeah. On top of demon souls, that would be the, I think the primary reason I want a PS five. Um, it just looks so good and how they take advantage of the SSD yeah. it really shows. Dude, that that's something that I didn't even think about talking about, but yeah, like the, so they had said when they were, uh, promoting this game that like this takes unique, uh, 
capa- or it takes the unique capabilities of the SSD and like renders them into the gameplay and stuff. And I like the way that you use the riffs and, and the way that it goes like instantaneously. I know that that's like the buzzword that they threw around, but like literally it transport you transports you from like one part of the level to the next without like any sort of like loading without any sort of like stoppage or whatever. Like it just, it's immediately like you're in one part you're at the next part done. And that's so yeah. fucking like, like ho- holy shit, man, they managed to make this work sort of thing. Right. Uh, but anyway, yeah, very good game so far. Um, well, well, it's a, it's a hard follow up to that, but, um, Assassin's Creed Valhalla is where I spent most of my time this past week that I've been away. And, like I kind of touched on in the beginning, I have poured my heart and soul into this game and I feel like I'm not close to beating it. Um, there is so much to do. There is so much to see. So when I say that I've put what I think last week I've put probably close to 18 to 20 hours in since we've last spoken. Um, oh my. I'm not entirely sure. Yeah. So the story is fantastic. I think that's something that it truly excels at. Um, there's a little repetitivity with what you do to progress in the story, but that's okay. That's kind of, it's, it's nothing like I, I don't hate doing it. It kind of makes sense for what we're doing. It, it makes sense in the moment. Um, but that aside, kind of working along uh, through England and developing relationships as a Dane and you're trying to make connections amongst the Saxons or, you know, whatever. It's really fun to watch unfold because that's a part of history that I personally love. Um, at, at least maybe if not for historical accuracy, at least in terms of the lore and the stories that we get from that time period. I really love that. Um, what Valhalla does is it gives you uh, a myriad of characters that you come to know and love and hate um, and you hate to love type of thing. And it does really well with that. Um, I would touch on the side content, but I've played very little of it as opposed to the story. I've really tried to stay story driven, but what I have done is explore Um, what someone said. And I did see someone say something in discord. I don't know who it was. It might've been Gilbezi or Tani, I'm not sure it was one of those two, I think, who said that how you should play this game is take each region that you try to conquer as like one episode per week of your favorite TV show and just spend your time there. I think that's a fantastic idea. I'm not doing that, but I think (laughs) that is a really good idea because you will be able to explore it episodically and find out everything there is to know about a region Um, You can explore all the side content, find all the loot, um, get the story out of the way for that area. But that's just a really good way to look at it. I'm more on the path of I want to beat this fucking game and I will go back throughout the year as a side project and kind of work on the side content. I'm not ignoring it. Like if I want to do something in the game, I do it. I'm not strictly focused on the story. 
Um, I do go after a lot of loot and like side raids and stuff like that, but I'm not doing a ton of side quests right now. Um, I've not really seen a draw to yet. Uh, I like expanding my settlement and stuff like that, but I've, I've really tried to hammer in on this story and in doing so it's unfolding a, a tale. It, it's, it's not what I expected. And to see the early game premonitions unfold, the later we go, it's really harrowing almost because you kind of have this feeling of dread um, as the game maybe reaches its eventual epilogue. I'm, like I said, probably 10 to 15 hours out, but I can kind of see a conclusion coming and it's not a good one. Um, and, and in terms of it's not a happy ending type of thing. So far, the story is fantastic there. They've done nothing wrong with that, but this looks like it's going to have a, a not so fortunate outcome, which was foretold in the beginning of the game. So I think along the lines, I was trying to kind of find hope in the sense that we can avoid fate. But I think one of the messages the game kind of conveys is that fate is inevitable or at least that's what I'm getting right now. But overall, aside from all of that, the world of England is absolutely beautiful. I mean, I can explore from one side of the map to the other, and it's always something different. And it's just really enriched. There's always something to see and do. And in terms of the level of detail inside of the world, I love watching it. Um, just there's so much... Uh, wilderness to explore, I guess you could say, and um, the hustle and bustle of the forest as you're going through them. Like, yes, it's quiet and it's serene, but there's animals and a shit ton of them just out there with you. Um, inside of the waters, even, there's tons of fish and the world really feels alive and it's fucking massive. So at times, I'm not going to say it feels lonely, but you can sometimes feel isolated and oh, that's okay. And yeah, and it, it does a good job at mixing the, the big cities with the distant and just rolling fields of isolation that you can eventually find yourself. in. it does a great job with that. Um, overall, I'm having an exceptional time with this game. My favorite Assassin's Creed of all time is actually origins. Um, that was the one I, in, um, uh, Egypt, Egypt, right? Correct. Um, that one was my favorite one. I have played the F Assassin's Creed franchise since the very first one. I know a lot of people hear me say that it's Origins, and they're like, oh, you're not a true fan, you know, because it changed the game of what Assassin's Creed was. It is no longer like the, the days of yore. I get that. Um, this is one of my favorite franchises of all time. I Where a lot of people find faults, I just find a good time. Um, and Origins shook up the formula and they made it into the game that I wanted to play from the get-go. It felt much more free and traversable and I loved the combat and it was just a beautiful, beautiful experience. And with Valhalla, I'm experiencing that stepped up again. So I don't know where it falls into play in terms of my favorite right now. It's, it's giving Origins a strong run for its money, but it's hard to top what Origins did in terms of story and voice acting overall message and the setup of who the assassins actually were i think that was huge to see where the brotherhood started um 
So outside of that, I I know by next week I should have the game beaten when we do the next podcast. So I'm curious to see where my final thoughts will stand, kind of like you with Ratchet and Clank. But as of right now, I'm having a fantastic time. Well, awesome. Awesome. I'm I'm glad to hear it. I will probably never go back to that game because it's so big, but... Yeah, I, I, the, the, it's one of those things where you know it's bad when I'm playing this, and one of the thoughts that I truly had was there's no way Josh is playing this game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, dude, it's not only... It's like England... Uh, and then don't they have like a, a full expansion in like Ireland or some shit? Like, so the game starts out in Norway. Yep. So there's that. Then there's England. Then there is an expansion that I forget where it goes, but there is an expansion. It does take you elsewhere. And then you can also go to Vinland, which I think was, <laughs> yeah, that's, I don't know if it's a part of I don't know, but Vinland is huge because that's like, I think it's Newfoundland mm, okay. on the, uh, the, the America side. So I don't know. It's just, there's a lot of shit to explore and I've barely scratched the surface on what I can see. Story wise, I'm close. Everything else, I got a lot of shit to do <laughs> and that's just going to be the side project this year. Kind of like Stardew, I guess. Yeah. Well, we will, we'll check back in. Uh, next week. <laughs> yeah, just weekly update of Assassin's Creed. Yeah, I'm still 10 hours away. I'm sure of it. And then we're going to get to December. Yeah, I'm almost there. Yeah. <sighs> All right. Well. Uh, All right. Let's get into our picks of the week and get out of here. Um, Wicks of the peak. Yeah. Wicks of the peak. Uh, so my my pick of the week is Red Letter Media's video about Jerry Springer. Um I don't know if you're familiar with Red Letter Media, but they do uh, the show Half in the Bag, and they've got a show called Review and Best of the Worst and stuff like that. Um, but this newest video is uh, it's called Our Least Viewed Episode Ever, <laughs> and it came about because uh, they were cleaning out their studio or cleaning it or something, and Mike uh, found his old signed copy of jerry springer's uh autobiography called ringmaster and so they just kind of talk about jerry springer for about 20 minutes and the reason that this was so the, the reason really that i recommend it is because near the end there they start talking about the end of the book and how the end of the book like the last chapter of the book is literally just episode names and the date that they aired on. And so Mike starts reading them out loud and they are some of the funniest fucking things I've ever heard in my <laughs> life. Like one of them I believe was something like, uh, my six year old is an alcoholic or, Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. So I was watching this video and for the last, like probably five or 10 minutes of the video, I was just laughing hysterically. Um, because they are just the most outlandish fucking things. Um, but yeah, red letter media is good. This video had me cackling at spots. Uh, and it was also kind of informative cause I did not know that Jerry Springer was actually the former, uh, I think mayor of Cincinnati. What the actual fuck? Yeah. So he had a political standing. Yep. Yep, that was a thing. Holy and shit. actually, the reason that his political career ended is because he got uh, embroiled in a uh, scandal about 
being caught with prostitutes. <laughs> oh, okay. Which kind well, of, I guess, informed the rest of his career. <sighs> that really kind of uh, snowballed, didn't yeah. it? <laughs> Holy shit. Okay. Yeah, that's good stuff. Good All stuff. right. All right, so it looks like uh, Austin wrote here his pick of the week is Anime Uwu Nuzzles Your Bulgy Wulgy. Okay. Thanks, Austin. Oh, God. That was most definitely him, and that was not me. So, my pick of the week. I need you to Um, remind me about that video from Bugsy's channel. Oh, my favorite one? You want me to play it? Don't play it. We'll get copyright stricken. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It was the best. Uh, it's, I think the song's called furry shit or something. I'm not sure, but truly one of the best 10 out of 10 songs. That should be my pick of the week. Quite honestly. Um, um, no, my pick of the week is another song kind of following the theme of what I've been doing in the past few weeks. I don't want to speak much about it. I just want you guys to go listen to it. It's from Sir Sly. And the song is called fun. It's just a feel good song. Like you just listen to the lyrics and, I just want to know what people think about it. This is, this is the kind of music I listen to every day. So if you guys have been following along with the pick of the weeks, this kind of goes with that same vibe. So enjoy. Very nice. Very nice. Uh, I am familiar with Sir Sly. I have not heard this song, though, so I'll check it out. Oh, okay, cool. That's awesome. Um, yeah. Well. That was a good show. That was a good show. That was uh, great because Austin wasn't here. <laughs> <laughs> I kid. I felt good. It, we we were liberated, right? <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, uh, as always, you can find us on social media for all things culture about hunting picks and the culture about family of content. Culture Bop is available on Twitter at culture underscore bop, Instagram at culture underscore bop, on Facebook at the culture bop, and on YouTube at culture bop. Uh, I'm actually going to have to delay the video that I'm working on just a little bit because. Uh, I had another project that was actually work related, uh, come up. So I had to handle that. Um, so cut down on some of my, my time for editing stuff. Uh, but it is coming. So, so go over there and subscribe if you aren't already. So you can get that when it's available. Hunting Pixels, this podcast, is available on Twitter at Pixels Hunting, on Instagram at Hunting underscore Pixels CB. Uh, I am on Twitter at the Bebop Man 182, on Instagram Bebop Man 182, and on Twitch at the underscore Bebop Man, where I will get back to streaming eventually. Um, Dylan will not get back to streaming eventually. Look, I have been fighting it so hard because I really want to start but I have no fucking time and that's what sucks. But there is a plan in action. It will take some time, but there is an eventual scenario that will happen that will allow me to start streaming again. So until then, the thought process is ticking. It's what's going to happen when I do start streaming again. So inevitably it will happen. But as of right now, I'm still lazy. I'm not lazy. I work too fucking much. Yeah, that, that's that's the problem is you work too much. I also yes. work too much, but uh, hopefully things will be changing on that front soon. We'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, but in the meantime, if you want to go toss Dizzy a, uh, a follow on Twitch, he is at OMDizzy on Twitch, at, on Instagram at OMDizzy, and on Twitter at OMDizzy. 
Uh, Austin, I don't know what is going on with him. I don't think he uses social media almost as much as we don't use social media, but you can find him on Twitter at Big Papa Plays, on Instagram at Big Papa Stevens underscore, or at Big Papa Plays. He's on Twitch at Big Papa Plays and on TikTok at Big Papa Plays. Uh, and finally, if you're looking to support the podcast or any of the endeavors that we're undertaking as Culture Bop, uh, which again will include YouTube videos and potential other podcasts down the road, then go to patreon.com slash culture bop and toss us a pledge. Uh, we're offering some very cool perks like early access to said videos and podcast, as well as a, uh, the ability to get your questions, comments, concerns read on the air. I actually didn't put out a thread this week cause I kind of forgot and I apologize to the patrons, but it'll be back next week. I promise. Isn't that a football team? Uh, close but not quite. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, but yeah, we're offering up those perks and more. And once we start hitting our goals, even more content will be on its way. So please go check that out. Uh, and last but not least, before we get out of here, I want to give a special shout out to our Patreon, our patrons for making this podcast possible. Uh, and that includes Augustine Martinez, Gilbezi Kitchens, Justin Ruiz, Shereem Khan and Tani Solman. Thank you guys so very much. Um, seriously, without you guys, uh, I would not have as much, um, I guess, uh, it would be a lot harder. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's probably the best way to put it. (laughs) Um, but yeah, that was it. That is our show. And until next time, Goodbye. Goodbye.